politics leads to conflict. Politics leads to fighting. Now, someone might say, that seems obvious. But I don't think anyone really gets it. I'm serious. Like, sometimes someone has to stand up and say the obvious. Politics creates conflict. Welcome to Gracearchy with Jim Babka, sponsored by the Zero Aggression Project, zeroaggressionproject.org. I'm your host, Bill Protzman, here on the AHO Radio Network. So here's the setup. Jim wrote a Facebook post that says something so obvious that it almost hurts. And this became obvious from the immediate pushback this post received. It really sparked a conversation. Here's what the post said. A policy requiring 100% compliance to succeed should never be pursued. Now, let's set the context. This was August 2020, exactly two years ago. Mandatory mask policies were being implemented in most states. In the Democratic Socialist Republic of California, where I live, we had the mandate. This isn't a discussion about masks. Really, it's not. It's a model case that tells us how and why such a simple, basic thing became so controversial. It's a lesson in why mere politics and policies are not law. Can I ask a question before we really get into this? Yeah, yes. So I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking policy. So when I see the word policy, I normally think of, whether it's in business or government, I normally think of a coercion to a best practice or to practice that somebody thinks is best. Is that Was that what your intent was here in using the word? Yeah, it's exactly my intent. Uh, I, I, I think there is a distinction to be made between that which is law which has something to do with morality. Yeah. And it has something to do with consensus. And we, we'll get deeper into that as we go, I suspect. <clears throat> and a policy is someone's preferences. Uh, best practice would be a be uh, one way to sum that up. It's what they believe would be the best practices. And they had enough power to impose it yeah. on the rest of us who may not necessarily share the value or agree with their position as to what the best practice would be. So the, the policy thing... Um... I mean, in, in oh, I hate to say this in practice, but in real life, a law gets made and then policies are made to implement the law. Yes. Although at the time that I wrote this post and you did bring up the controversy that was present at that hour is mask mandates were getting dropped all over the country. So all this over. is just a few months after we had gone through a lockdown. Uh, most states by this point had opened up to some degree. Not everyone had yet. And masks were now the next stage in that discussion. Um, we had gone from a place where the federal government had told us to not wear masks. Uh, the Surgeon General, Anthony Fauci, they had both said, don't wear masks or they're not unnecessary at the beginning. And we know from Anthony Fauci's private correspondence now through Freedom of Information Act that he was telling his friends at the, in March of 2020 that, that masks didn't work. We also know as we're sitting here in August 2022 that uh, government data has now come out saying the masks were pretty much ineffective. They didn't do anything, uh, which, by the way, people who are now just getting this information are having a very hard time accepting because they were committed to the science that they were given at that time. Um, but at that hour, there were people committed to that science, too. And, and, you know, they thought they they rightly thought that I was commenting on what was happening at that hour. 
but I've got a career of commenting on these things. This wasn't the first time I had made a statement like this. In fact, we had written about this at the Zero Aggression Project before, that there is a distinction between what is and is not a law that is not necessarily noticed or recognized by politicians, by the media, and by most Americans, frankly. Oh, sure. The very first comment on this is like, well, you know, what about murder? Right. <laughs> so there's a perfect way to illustrate my point. How many people do you know that favor murder? I think as a general rule, murder is an okay thing, right? Yeah, um, I mean, very we, few, obviously in war, there's a difference, but we're talking about, yeah. you know, so, so, you, so you can, you can imagine assembling a jury on this question and having very little trouble. If indeed the facts point out that the person is guilty of murder of people saying, well, you know, I kind of like murder. I'm not going to, I'm going to hang this jury because murder is a cool thing. Like that's not like a normal thing, right? Yeah. That's, that's a perversion of the law. Okay. We know what law is. On, I'm going to argue on two bases, but on, on this particular day, I was focused on one. And that is there's like this unanimous agreement. There's a recognition that this thing, this particular thing is a law. Okay. As opposed to a best practice, which suggests that some group of people think that the best way to handle a given matter is X or Y, right? And people disagree. That's a policy. So a mask mandate, which was the, the, the debate of the day two yes. years ago, yes, was uh, a policy, whereas murder is a law. And the difference is because we know that there is no debate. This is a this is a this is a, a sealed deal, right? I've I've actually to go in a place that you're probably not you're not expecting at all. I it wasn't covered in this post have used this exact same uh, approach to discuss the abortion issue. A policy, part of the reason, right? Yeah. It, well, part of the reason that we can't come to a consensus on this is that we do not believe that whether uh, the, the status of a fetus, we don't know where that is in law. There's a significant disagreement, culturally speaking, on when that begins. And a lot of that has to do with what your personal religious faith is. Now, we don't have that same problem with murder, right? Yes. But we do have it with this. And so what I've told people who are pro-life, and this was, this was long before the decision that came down a couple of months ago, what I told them that they had to do is that they had to create cultural consensus that life was being taken here, that, that there actually was a manslaughter or a murder. And if they could create that cultural consensus where everybody had come to agree, where you could get a jury of 12 people to convict, then you had something that was law. But if you don't, if you're shy of that, then what you have is a regime where you can get 50% plus one of the power, and then you can impose your will on everyone else. So and, in, in that context, um, even if we don't all agree on the law, because there's going to be outliers out there that think murder is okay, <laughs> right? Um, it's not 100%. So the law is there to sort of constrain the fractional percentage that doesn't want to go along. There's a need for coercion in that sense, is, is my point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So where there's where there is no need in a policy to coerce. No, that's the problem is that policies always come with coercion. And so that's when the, the state makes a decision of any kind, and this is this is really super vitally important, okay? 
there's a law professor. His name is eluding me at the right. Uh, at, I believe his first name is James, which is a very noble name to have. And but I don't remember his last name off the top of my head. Uh, he makes an argument. He starts off and tells his law school students, beginning law school students, every time you want to make a law, you decide who it is you're willing to kill. As we're sitting here talking today, there was just an IRS. Uh, the IRS made some news because they put out a job posting and the job posting included that you needed to be prepared to use deadly force. Every time we make a law at the end of the day, what we're saying is that if this person, there's there's various stages of escalation this process to try to induce compliance. But what we're saying is if they don't comply, ultimately, we are willing to kill them. And this so you could say, yeah, so you could say, listen, the smallest, most mundane thing could turn into a death. And all that needs to get mixed in is a police officer thinking, getting it in their head that they're not being respected at that moment. That's literally all it takes. And it could turn into a death situation. Which uh, has, the drug war, seen that. Yes. The drug war includes kicking doors in, yeah. right? Yeah. And that frequently leads to, you know, maybe the dog family dog dies or somebody in the house gets injured or killed, right? This is uh, Brianna Taylor. Like, this is an appalling thing to me. She's, you know, they're surrounding the house to start to shoot. Her boyfriend gets up with a gun and there's gunfire. And now, you know, now they got to charge him and she's been killed in, in police. They fired a lot of rounds. What were they doing sneaking up on the door? And and so just the point, my point is not, I don't want to get distracted by any of those smaller issues. These are various ways of illustrating that laws when they're passed, so, you know, when we don't do law properly and we start imposing policies, we got to recognize that every one of these is a, is a, a, a potential for destroying a human being. Sure. I, I have a fundamental um, issue with our system of government, which only allows us to enact laws. Once the law is enacted, we kind of, as voters, we kind of lose control over the implementation or the policy that gets made. Mm -hmm. And there are, of course, many times where it's government by fiat, too. Executive orders come down all the time um, mandating things that may or may not be of, of legal use. And I hate to say it that way because it's like apples and oranges, to, in some cases, to, to make this distinction. But somebody comes along and says, Bill, wear a mask because I say so. Otherwise, we're going to break your door down. Um, I have a pretty hefty response to that because there's no law that compels that. Mm -hmm. And and this was an extra bad problem at this particular juncture. And I was pretty exercised during the spring and summer of 2020 because governors were acting under a process called emergency orders. Exactly. Yes. California, we have the Democratic Socialist Republic and we recalled our governor for being a hypocrite. Uh, didn't work. We tried. Didn't work. But what you were saying is exactly true. Exactly. So in our system, uh, to make a law, you had to have the people's legislature act first. And then it was the governor's duty to, to either sign or veto that proposal. If you have, and this is, by the way, a fundamental flaw. This should, this should be banned. There should be an amendment. This should never, ever, 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 ever happen again. If the roles get reversed, if the executive makes the law and starts imposing it and, and and he uses his apparatus his executive branch apparatus to enforce the law 
um, which I believe is completely unconstitutional, violates our guarantee to a Republican form of government, uh, which is in the U.S. Constitution, uh, and it, it should never have been able to stand. What the legislature had to do was assemble, and they not only had to to get a majority like they normally would to pass a law, they would have to get a supermajority to override any potential veto that the governor would make. Because the governor could say, well, I made the policy, I'm just going to veto this. Boom. And now he's going to keep right on going. And that is a perversion. It's an upside down, turning upside down of our form of government. And I would submit to you that at this hour, I was in Ohio at the time, our governor's Mike DeWine, the very first governor in, this, in the country to lock his citizens down. He beat uh, J.D. Pritzker by an hour. And there, there were several more before the day was over. Yeah. That at this juncture, he proposed that this, ma this mass mandate um, there's, there's really something interesting about this story. When he proposed this mass mandate, I think he would have had a hard time getting a majority vote out of the state legislature at that moment. It's debatable whether he could have done it at that hour. But what he said was, we wanted to have football season. He had just said a week or two before when he imposed it in Ohio, we want to have football season. And if the only way that we could get through football season is if we could have this mass mandate. He literally said this and he put a timeline on it. He said it was going to be six to eight weeks. Eight weeks go by. Week nine, he's on a Cleveland radio station, and the host asks him, what about this, this statement that we just needed to do this for six to eight weeks? Now, keep in mind, he had said this on television. It was live on television. When I watched it, it was recorded. There was tape. Claimed he never said it. Straight-faced, I never said it. In fact, got indignant when the guy said, well, we've got tape of you saying it. No, you don't, because I never said it. And so you know, he had gotten everybody to kind of go along with six to eight weeks and he might've been able to sell that to the legislature, but there was no way he was going to be able to sell that to the legislature uh, down the line. So this entire system of government that we had that even gave us minimal protection and it's paper thin, it's almost useless, but it's still there. It was completely chucked aside and he just did what he wanted to do. He's king, he's czar, he's Fuhrer. He can do whatever it is he wants to do and everybody's just got to play along. And I'm saying that's a policy. And the fact that you had so much societal friction over this issue is evidence that it was not actually a law in the sense that it was not natural. We know murder is wrong. We don't want it under any circumstances. We know that stealing and vandalism are wrong. We can muster 12-person unanimous juries for these questions. But on other questions like this, we probably would have a much harder time. And clearly, if he had submitted this to the normal process where they went instead of regulating, instead of an executive imposing, had gone to the people's legislature, he probably wouldn't have succeeded. But even if he had, he would have had to do it on the basis that we're only going to do this for eight weeks because that's what he was trying to do at that hour to sell it verbally. Yeah, yeah. And... And that's just one microcosmic example of how crazy this went around the world, of mandates trying to kick in to do things that citizens wouldn't want to have done or didn't feel were appropriate under the circumstances. Right. That's exactly right. There's, a, um, there's an interesting uh, thread along this same post that talks about slavery and it's, it's interesting to me how, as attitudes changes, how consciousness improves, perhaps, laws change to reflect that. So the laws are in response to the change in consciousness. We, allow, we outlawed slavery in whatever, 1860-something, mm -hmm. and we're still trying to outlaw it in consciousness, although we have on the books laws that protect us from ever having slavery in the United States again, theoretically. And there are places where it exists. But so these we are made not, a, we these made are a not constitutional... policies. These are, these are laws. Right. We made a constitutional amendment in this case. 
Yeah. And again, if you were to go out and find, like if somebody's kidnapped by somebody and held against their will, if somebody's put to labor against their will and they're not able to profit from it, and we've expanded even what the definition of slavery is so that it covers uh, not just chattel slavery, but, you know, uh, sex trafficking and, and other stuff. So we, we, we're getting this better and better sense of this. But there's the, the, the cultural consensus that makes something law is present. It's there. It's there. Right? Yes. This is, this is an example, like I'm trying to tell to the, to the pro-life people, this is an example where the consensus has been reached. There's, there's, nobody's debating this question anymore. This is, this is settled right? Masks never made it to this level. Even, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, so, you know, debating somebody. Uh, so it's interesting because one person in, in, in that thread worked at a clinic. Yes. Saw actually, uh, yes. The other person that you're starting to reference is a doctor that I respect a lot, have a lot of respect for this person. And um, I thought, you know, she, by the way, you noticed was a lot more respectful to me. She didn't make cheap arguments at all. Yes. Um, both of these people, though, were impacted and could tell because of the time that I wrote this, the timing of with, at which I wrote this, that this was at least in part, although I felt what I said is timeless, and that's why we're talking about it here today, that it was motivated at the time by what was going on with the mask mandates. Is there a, any kind of a um, way we can roll this up to a current issue? And obviously, for the listeners, point out where a policy that does not have 100% support and may not even have 51% support is getting in the way of consensus. It's hard to come up with one off the top of my head as I'm sitting here talking to you right now uh, that is as visceral as the stuff that went on during COVID because so many of the things that went on during COVID literally affected and impacted our day-to-day lives in ways that we just take for granted. But I, you know... I would go so far as to suggest that virtually anything that you, this is the other way that you could tell something's a law. Anytime that something that you cannot identify a specific victim to whom damages are owed. Anytime you're missing a victim, if there's no victim, there's no crime. And if you can't attach uh, monetary damage to it, if you can't say uh, th- this person would be at least made partially whole, because we can't, you know, when crime happens, we can't necessarily fix the emotional damage that's done to a human being. Right. right? Yeah. We can't make everything perfect and new. We can't take away the PTSD that might come with a, a, an assault that's been done on you. There's things that we can't necessarily repair, but we can try to find a degree of remedy to that situation. Okay. But we know when it happens, we know two things. We know that there is a victim. We can identify them or them, plural, if there's more than one by name. We know that those human beings exist. And number two, we know that there was harm done to them and we can measure that harm. And we could say, we're going to try to write it or at least attempt to begin to write it in the following ways. When a mask mandate comes out, uh, when a tax is imposed, when, when a regulation is put into place, there's a whole host of people that we can't identify that basically become the department of pre-crime. No victim will be created by their acts. Nevertheless, they're bound by what uh, by the edict that has been handed down. So they're being given a policy, maybe an edict is a better word, uh, that is not, it doesn't reach the social consensus level we've spent several minutes talking about here, but it also does not, the crime itself, when it's committed, has no victim. There's no victim, so there's no crime. So and, we're talking about uh, the war on drugs or legalizing yes. prostitution, um, a lot of things where there is no victim. There is no victim. Right. If you've got consenting adults in the transaction, 
and they've agreed to, to enter a transaction with one another, then no one else has any business being involved in that transaction at all, unless they choose to invite those people in. And so anybody that intrudes into that transaction, whether it be a politician, a police officer, uh, um, a nosy neighbor, doesn't belong inside those transactions unless they're invited. Which certain laws in places like Texas now invite us to do as citizen vigilantes for folks who want an abortion. Yes, this is a really, really rotten idea. Um, I don't care where you're coming from on the on the spectrum. I have kind of an acid rule. And your governor, he doesn't do much right. And I don't agree with what he did, what I'm about to explain either. But he illustrated the point perfectly. And, and what your governor did is he said, okay, I'm going to take that same logic and I'm going to apply it to guns here in my state. So we're going to set up a bounty system to go after uh, gun manufacturers and distributors. I This idea that we're going to start to empower people to go after other people and throw them into, like, there's no end to this. There is no end to this. And, you know, we've talked about some of the things that can be done to dox people or, you know, just crush them or take away their ability to to make a living on social media the way they can be swarmed and so forth. This is this is much worse because now we're going to bring the awesome power of the state into the mix and almost nobody can compete with it and 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 and, and have them do the crushing and and maybe even do it for reward and profit. So this idea that happened in Texas that oh we've got a way and it was done pre Roe v Wade by the way uh, this 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 Dobbs decision it was done previous to that decision coming down this, this summer, but this idea that they found a way around that law and they were going to put this bounty out. So it wasn't the state enforcing it. It was individuals enforcing it. I mean, this, this was, this was clever by stupidity. This is really a bad idea. And, and your governor showed that if you take this and extend it out, you know, this is the dangerous place to which it leads. Yeah. And it isn't finished leading there yet. We've no. got a little ways to go on this before it. Falls. No, this is all going to get settled in courts, unfortunately. Um, yeah. It, this this is a, you know, sometimes you got to be careful when you open Pandora's box. Well said. Well said. I, I, I'd like to say one more thing about this because one of the other things that happened in this discussion, in this distinction between law and policy, is that when you don't have this consensus and people feel oppressed by the result, by the policy that's been imposed. You have something that has been very feel, well field tested. It's very well attested in the realm of psychology called reactance. People become reactionary and resist the policy, try to find ways to resist the policy. Pernicious side effects are created from this. Uh, cultural division is created from this. People become rivals and angered at each other. And we also know that the more people feel that they've even been outsmarted in a discussion, we're going to do this other episode with Dwayne Lester. Uh, you know, we talked to him about how to have a, a conversation with people, persuasive conversation without causing uh, a war or a fight between you. And, and you know, one of the things, one of the other pieces of, of literature that we can look at on this has to do with the fact that there is something called the backfire effect, where if my argument, if I really try to overwhelm you, just even an argument, let alone in coercive force, which is what the government brings on top of that, that your the human instinct is to is to negatively react to that truth and push it away. And it, it, it 
to me, it shouldn't be overlooked that at the very outset of this crisis that we had, that we just went through as a country, that in early March, uh, the NBA, the NCAA, uh, Disney, a whole host of people closed their businesses to the public, shut down their events. Uh, this was already starting voluntarily because they cared about their customers and they recognized what was at stake. And yes. they, were prepared yes. to, they were prepared to do that. And, and the whole country would have figured this out. Uh, we'll get into this more in a, in, in, perhaps in a, in a future episode, but I just want to say there is no evidence whatsoever that people wouldn't have done the right thing. And the mask argument, the mask argument became a proxy. So the max was, <laughs> I ended up writing an article for the Exit Network on Rachel Maddow, um, unable to accept the idea that the CDC was saying it was time to take off the masks in May of 2021 couldn't do it. And she makes this extraordinary, and thank God she did this, extraordinary admission as she has the CDC director, uh, Rachel Walensky on. That's who it is. Is that the CDC director? I don't know. She has her on. Anyway, she says, basically, she kind of knew who the good people were because they were wearing their masks correctly. And she didn't want to be around the people who maybe were more prone to be anti-vaxxer because they weren't wearing their masks correctly. And this was code for Trump supporter as well, right? It was the it was a way to tell the good and the bad. So on the one side, if you wore your mask, you you were a good person. That was more important for wearing it than actually preventing anything. Like, look at me, I'm good. And then there was the other side that was like, well, screw the system and I don't have to listen to authority. And they didn't want to wear the mask. And this became a cultural division. And I'm going to suggest something rather bold. When you don't notice this law versus policy distinction and you impose your policy, you actually create a situation that's directly addressed in this conversation, which is they say, well, we need a law because people aren't listening. Yes. Yes. Your resistance went up because you made it. That's yes. exactly why it's happening. That's why it's happening. So and the mask was that? so easy to do little subtle things like pull it down, leave it off, try to push the boundaries in any way you can. That was a, th those were easy ways to resist. And they basically invented resistance. Yes. They invented it. They and, created and resistance they where it wasn't necessary. And they didn't want to take responsibility for it. Yep. They didn't want it. And they still to this day don't. And now that it's all over, we're being told, well, you know, it turns out they didn't do much. If, if, well, fat lot of good that does us two later, two years right, later. Right. It does. After we've all gotten to this point where we're fighting with each other and we've lost all sense of, of tolerance and understanding for one another. And forget grace. It's already. You know, it's already down the street. Who is it today in politics that's inviting Americans to do the right thing? Like, use your expertise, Bill. You're going to come up with a solution for this. I don't know what it is, but let's empower you to go out and do that. Well, I'm going to suggest that politics isn't the answer. Absolutely. And I'm that's not, I am not, I am not looking to anybody in the realm of politics to provide these answers. I really do think that this is a cultural thing for us to discuss and it comes with having an intellectual tool set that says, I, I've, I've seen certain things happen before. And from those things, like, you know, someone could ask, Jim, why today are you talking about masks two years later after it happened? Come on, get with the program. We got new issues we're on to right now, right? But that's, but that's the problem. If you are not aware of what's happened, if you don't know your history, you're doomed to what? Repeat it. And Hello. I'm suggesting that what should happen instead is people should 
go back over this event, learn lessons from it. One of the things that's actually really very interesting to me, the reason we're discussing this is this came through, and I shared it with you, was this came through in my Facebook memories. And the first person to respond in this discussion made a lot of very specific, time-specific pleas. Uh, and he didn't do it in the kindest way. I, I was the bad guy. Anybody that objects to this wants people to die type of argument. Right, right. Not skillful. And he made specific arguments that today, and we won't get into it because it's not my point to embarrass him or say anything bad about him or anything else. That's not my point. But he made arguments that two years later completely fall flat on their face. They turned out to be wrong. Not, not a little bit. Like it's, these aren't questionable things. These are things like, well, my perception of events is different. No, no. Empirically speaking, yeah, these arguments actually. proved to be wrong. Yeah. Okay. These were the exigent circumstances at the time. These were the things that you're being told to fear. And when we see fear, uh, I always think of false evidence appearing real. I stop and say, wait a minute, why do they want me to be scared? And should I really be scared? And I start trying to find something to compare it to. And I start trying to figure out, okay, should I be scared? And I want more evidence to come in before I want to react to the hysterical news that I'm being given. And I'm saying right now, these events should serve for, for the rest of our lives as uh, exemplars to us. This is Moments. two years ago. Two years yes. ago. We can't forget it, people. It's two years old. Yeah. It's got to be right there at the forefront of everyone's mind. And the way I do this is I distinguish what between what is a law and what is a policy. And when I see a policy being imposed, I know that this is going to cause a certain amount of social dislocation. It's going to break social bonds. It's going to create arguments. And the more intrusive it is and the more uh, heavy handed it is and the less likely that it went through a legislature, I can see for all of those reasons why this is going to have deleterious side effects to our society and it why would, it's going to cause trouble. It would be like reprehensible to not tie this into the leadership of the time. Um, we were in an era where policies were being made heavy handedly. And even though they pleased the majority of the people, um, they didn't have a unifying building constructive uh, uh, result. I'm going to suggest the only way you can get that is not through politics. I'm going to exactly. suggest that what was happening before this event would have continued. It would Walmart, have. Walmart had special hours. Yes. Right. For people uh, and one-way aisles. Uh, which, by the way, probably was useless too. Yeah, but it was a, uh, And we were over-cleaning right? at the time. But yeah. they were, there were all these steps that were being taken. We see some of the residual effects. I'm walking through the airport uh, just this past weekend, and there's still a sign advocating six-foot distance. I mean, there were attempts to do the right thing. And you yeah. would have seen most of that. And I think you would have seen a great deal of cooperation. There's always going to be holdouts, which is what gets us back to this brings us full circle. The idea that if your policy isn't 100%, if one person violates the policy, right, the, the suffering will continue until morale improves, right? <laughs> well said. Yeah. So I, I'm saying that, th that, that this is a sign. This is a sign that a problem is there. And it doesn't matter whether it was masks in 20, August of 2020 or it's something else today. When you see somebody saying, we have to have 100% compliance with this, or the reason we've got to do this is because not enough people are complying something, the fact that you're hearing that people are not complying should cause you to pause and ask, wait a minute, is this a law naturally occurring like murder or even slavery? Because we built consensus on that. Or is it, is it a policy? Can we find a victim? 
Can we identify damages to them? Or is this something that's simply designed to control behavior so that we can prevent some phantom bad thing from occurring? May, which may or may not occur. We don't know yet, but we've got to overcompensate. Do we turn this over to the planners or do we allow people interacting with each other to start to look out for their neighbors and friends and build the bonds of community that way? Or do we want to start a civil war amongst our citizens? Those are the stakes. Those are the choices. If a poli I can tell it's a policy when it doesn't have that level of consensus. It's not a law. So our grace point here is to come back to unity. Our grace point here is to have like a tool set that sees these things and, yes. and decides I'm not going to impose my policy preferences, right? Because what happened here in, with one of the commenters, he clearly had that policy preference, right? And so he was calling me a whiner at the time, right? Because he wanted to impose his values, right? There was not enough level, highest level of compliance. Forget all your science about what this does to our society. I want what I want and I've got the power and you're going to do it. Yep. Which is not working. Not working. And it's it not working. won't. Never has. It never will. will. Can't. That's exactly right. So the next Can't. time we come to this, that's the grace. Learn history. Get a toolkit like this. Here's, an ex here's a rule you can follow. It's There's policies and there's laws. And only laws can be enforced. Policies should not. If it requires 100% compliance, it's not a law. We've talked about uh, many ways to come to the table on this, and we're going to offer you some how-to. Uh, Jim mentioned our interview with Dwayne Lester. That's coming up on when you're at the table with your enemy. What do you say? How do you actually right. do that well? And uh, that's a big barrier right now. I'll be honest with you. It's it's difficult for me to sit down with someone that disagrees with me fundamentally on anything, religious, religion, politics, money, you name it, uh, parenting. But there are ways, and they're not that hard, folks. You're going to enjoy that interview when we when we air it. And it'll help you to do things in a way that's novel, different, and also uh, successful. Thank you all for being with us. It's really a pleasure to do this. I learn stuff every time we get into these conversations. I see things a little bit differently than I did before. And if you are doing that too, as you're watching or listening, then that's progress. That's a good thing. Even if, even if it makes you uncomfortable, because there are things that need to make us uncomfortable to get us off the dime to do something about it. Thanks for being with us again. This is Grace Arkey with Jim Babcock and Bill Protzman on AHO Radio Network. We'll see you the next time. Aho.